time for the 79th Quack Cast. The real Quack Cast, not the comic book poser Quack Cast. This one is from November and is coverly entitled November Hodgepodge. If you're interested in references for this Quack Cast, they're over at sciencebasemedicine.org. There have not been a lot of topics of late that warrant extensive analysis and discussion. But there are a number of little topics of interest, each worthy of a few moments of discussion, archetypes of medicine, science-based or otherwise. First up, Zygris. Now, it's not whale vomit, but close. In October, Zygris was pulled from the market by Lily. Yes, I understand the shock. Zygris, we hardly knew ye. Zygris is a brand name for dotrekogen alpha, or activated protein C. It is an enzyme in the clotting cascade that is, or was, given for the treatment of sepsis. Sepsis is the syndrome that occurs when bacteria, or parts of bacteria like their cell wall, get into the bloodstream. A large number of mind-bogglingly complex physiologic derangements occur, often with refractory multi-organ system failure and death. At a minimum, sepsis kills one in three, perhaps 200,000 deaths a year in the United States. During my career, the best and brightest have looked for interventions that modify the underlying pathophysiology of sepsis and alter the course of the disease. Besides antibiotics and the support of failing organ systems, there had been no breakthroughs in the treatment of sepsis until the Prowess trial in 2002, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, that demonstrated a survival benefit in patients with severe sepsis. 24.7% of patients taking Zygris survived, versus 30.8% in the placebo group. Although the drug was approved, the vote was split, and there has been an ongoing debate about the results of the trials from the beginning. Besides the study protocol changing in mid-trial, survival benefit was only found in a post-hoc subgroup analysis, also known as data mining. Was it a statistical fluke, or was it a real deal? Well, at up to $20,000 a therapeutic course, Lilly, the makers of Zygris, was of the opinion it was of benefit. Quote, Zygris is a proven life-saving advance for the treatment of adult patients with life-threatening severe sepsis. To imply otherwise, in the pages of one of the world's most prestigious medical journals, 10 months after the FDA approved this therapy on the basis of the strength of our clinical data, attempts to turn back the clock on the treatment of severe sepsis. The opinion article's assertions serve only to confuse physicians who are attempting to make the best treatment decision of their patients with severe sepsis, says August M. Watanabe, MD. Hmm, curiously, he's the vice president of science and technology for Lilly. Continuing the quote, we disagree with the author's suggestion that we should contemplate denying severe sepsis patients fighting for their lives access to an FDA-approved therapy in order to replicate the proven findings from the largest trial of its kind ever conducted. And our viewpoint, and probably that of their stockholders, that would be unethical, end quote. And, quote, severe sepsis shows no mercy. 
kind of like Logan Nine Fingers. So I want to offer my patients every advantage in their struggle to survive, Greg A. Schmidt, MD, says in Lily's news release. There is no doubt in my mind that Zygris, when used appropriately, is an unprecedented life-saving advance for this vulnerable patient population. End of quote. Wow. Do you really want to give our drug despite real concerns about efficacy and safety? Or do you just want people to unnecessarily die? Sounds like a question that would go to Ron Paul. Quite the message for clinicians who, of course, will always err on the side of patient survival. There are times when I truly sympathize with the anti-pharmacy conspiracy wackaloons. I really do. So often, pharma companies behave just as one would expect if they were not driven by patient concern, but by greed. So I repeat the aphorism. Never ascribe to conspiracy what is adequately explained by incompetence. When the drug was released, hospitals developed guidelines to ensure that the agent was only used in severe sepsis, those in whom the drug was allegedly effective, and where the risk was less than the benefit. Since there is an increased risk of bleeding with the drug, my hospitals use less Zygris than other institutions in the Portland metropolitan area, and I had heard through the grapevine that it was being suggested that we were not providing optimal care since we were relatively parsimonious in using the drug. As the years went past, more studies were done, none definitive, that suggested that Zygris had no efficacy but did have serious complications. As the 2011 Cochrane Review concluded, and you know what a fan I am of Cochrane Reviews, quote, this updated review found no evidence suggesting that activated protein C should be used for treating patients with severe sepsis or septic shock. Additionally, activated protein C is associated with a higher risk of bleeding. Unless additional randomized clinical trials provide evidence of treatment effect, policymakers, clinicians, and academics should not promote the use of activated protein C. But, like acupuncture, despite mounting data that Zygris was neither safe nor effective, its use continued, although at volumes far less than Lilly would have liked. There was no definitive study that said it didn't work, but the data was mounting up, and the Newland Journal of Medicine, like an iron chef, always reigns supreme. Now, when the drug was approved, Lilly was mandated to do another study to prove that Zygris was indeed effective and safe. Up to this year, about a billion dollars had been spent on Zygris, but no longer, because the new trial demonstrated that, yes, indeed, the results of the Prowess trial were indeed a statistical fluke, that data in post hoc subgroup analyses is usually not true and that Zygris is no better than placebo for the treatment of severe sepsis. Unlike acupuncture or any number of other scams, definitive trials demonstrating lack of efficacy and safety are eventually heated, and Zygris was pulled from the market. If Dr. Watanabe wants to comment now, I cannot find it on the internet. Evidently, he has since expired. And Dr. Schmidt has also been silent on the topic. There are multiple lessons to be learned from this very expensive exercise in medical futility. One, 
don't ever trust the results of a single study, especially a study with flaws in it like the prowess trial. The second is you don't trust studies where there are benefits only demonstrated in after-the-fact analysis. Post-hops, post-hop sounds like a dance. Post-hoc subgroup analysis is not to be believed. Three, this is a good example of the so-called decline effect, but it is not due to medications losing effectiveness, but due to better designed studies removing potential bias. My rule of thumb, which I discovered in a post-hoc analysis, is that in the real-world diagnostic tests and therapeutic interventions are probably only half as good as the published results. Now, given the minimal effect in the poorly done studies of most CAM efficacy, a 50% decrease in real effectiveness takes the most robust findings almost to zero. Four, medical practice changes and ineffective and dangerous interventions are abandoned. Eventually, this has never, ever happened in the history of CAM. Five, when I was an intern, I carried a New England Journal of Medicine article in my coat on how to interpret Swan-Gans catheter measurements. And every time I saw a patient with a swan, I would reread the paper until one day I realized I knew the information in the reference and I chucked the paper into the recycler. Yeah, like we had recyclers back in the 1980s. Swans are rarely used today. Another change in practice due to evidence, by the way. But I would recommend to every resident that they carry why published research findings are false in their lab coat and read it every time they get excited about a new intervention. It's too bad that that paper was not available to the FDA when they were approving Zygris. And finally, six, and damn if this whole thing just doesn't piss me the hell off with so much time and money and potential patient risk wasted because of all the bad science and all the bad biopolitics. But of course, if we ignored bad science and biopolitics and only paid attention to good science, there would be no departments of integrative medicine. Next up, informed consent. Over at Science-Based Medicine, Dr. Novella, Jan Bellamy, and ORAC over on Respectful Insolence have discussed the article in Pediatrics on informed consent and CAM. The basic argument is that physicians should give informed consent about CAMs that are allegedly of increasingly proven value. Not that I can think of one that meets that criteria. The arc of the covenant? No. The arc of CAM and science-based medicine has consistently been that better designed studies demonstrate decreasing effect until excellent studies show no effect. The article in Pediatrics starts with a case made up designed to tug at the heartstrings. Quote, The parents of six-year-old Jake, a young boy with medulloblastoma, that's a brain cancer, are distressed by the nausea and vomiting he is suffering as a result of chemotherapy. His chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting occur spontaneously and are also being triggered by sights, sounds, and smells for up to two weeks after a course of chemotherapy. His parents believe this is preventing him from eating properly and that the psychological toll of the adverse effects of treatment are limiting his ability to combat the cancer. They asked Jake's oncologist about other options to alleviate his nausea. He has tried dry menhydronate and dexamethasone in addition to andonsetron, but like meclopramide, they have not provided Jake with sufficient relief. 
Jake's oncologist recommended that he continue with nabilone, a synthetic cannabinoid. However, Jake refuses to continue this drug because it makes him feel dizzy and anxious. Disappointed, his parents resign themselves to the possibility that Jake may not find relief from his cancer-induced nausea and vomiting. While communicating online with other families of patients with cancer, Jake's parents discovered that a consensus panel through the U.S. National Institutes of Health has recognized the effectiveness of acupuncture. They asked their oncologist about it, but his response is noncommittal, as it should be. Jake's parents take him out on intermittent passes from the hospital to an acupuncturist in the community. They are delighted to see his nausea and vomiting are much improved after each acupuncture session. Jake begins to regain his appetite, his weight, and generally has a better sense of well-being. Jake's parents are upset with their physician, who they believe had access to information outlining the potential benefits of acupuncture, which does not exist, and did not tell them that it was potentially safe, it's not, and effective treatment, it's not, option. When they describe their son's improvement after acupuncture, the physician dismisses them as a placebo effect. Jake's parents are concerned that the physician instead offered other anti-emetic medications that, from their point of view, only created more problems and unnecessary adverse effect. End of quote. I would like to offer a more realistic case. Six-year-old Jake is acupuncture, despite the studies that consistently demonstrate that acupuncture is no better than sham acupuncture, even for cancer therapy-induced nausea and vomiting, and that sham acupuncture, such as toothpicks twirled on the skin, has fewer complications. Because of the suppressed immune system and sloppy acupuncture technique, Jake gets an MRSA necrotizing fasciitis, bacteremia and sepsis that leads to increased vomiting, aspiration, respiratory failure, and intubation. Despite aggressive debridement, including a limb amputation, he dies from multi-organ system failure, primarily vomiting-induced ARDS. Well, says the acupuncturist, wasn't my doing. Guilt due to inadvertently killing their son by inflicting upon him a dangerous yet worthless intervention the parents' marriage dissolves into a bitter stew of recriminations, infidelity, alcoholism, and divorce. I do agree with one aspect of the author's vignette. Acupuncture does have this potential to be safe. Unfortunately, a quick review of the medical literature reveals it all too often fails live up to that potential. But effective? Not so much. There are two studies that compare sham acupuncture with real acupuncture in oncologic nausea and vomiting. One for chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting, the other for radiation-induced nausea and vomiting. Now, there are only two trials that compare acupuncture to sham acupuncture. The NIH consensus paper did not have articles in it that included an appropriate placebo control. Both of these studies showed that acupuncture and sham SAM, sham acupuncture were equal in decreasing nausea and vomiting. When an intervention is equal to placebo, the procedure is considered to do nothing. The conclusion should be that acupuncture does nothing. Oddly, with acupuncture, the conclusion is often that both real and sham acupuncture are efficacious. Now wait, Zygris was equal to a sham intervention, therefore they both work. Zygris need not be pulled from the market. Just 
reposition it as an alternative therapy. Hey, Lily, you can keep the Zygris gravy train a running. To quote from the abstract, however, as many as 95% of patients in both groups considered the treatment to be effective, and 89% were interested in receiving the treatments in the future. In light of the apparent conflict between the lack of specific events from verum acupuncture and a large subjectively experienced positive effect, it seems interesting to evaluate if acupuncture has its anti-emetic effects related to nonspecific mechanisms, end quote. And duh. And the discussion, quote, our results indicate that nonspecific factors such as the extra care or high expectations of positive treatment effects not the specific characteristics of verum acupuncture, reduced emesis, end quote. Acupuncture needles do nothing. Like all scams, the benefits are the evolutionary equal of monkeys picking nits and grooming each other. It is calming. It is beneficial. So why risk killing a few patients with cancer by sticking them with needles? Would it not be better to harness the power of the lie? And we do lie to our kids. Just think about Santa. By telling parents that kissing the boo-boo will make it better. And maybe we can get rid of some nits in the process. Stairmaster. Every city I have ever visited has its alternative newspaper. That edgy, often left-leaning, and somewhat soft-about-science freebie. They mostly seem to be supported by prostitution. In Portland, it is the Willamette Week. And being somewhat left-leaning myself, but not prostitution-leaning, my youngest says I am edgy in the same way I am cool. In other words, not. I pick up a copy of the Willamette Week every week, mostly for the restaurant reviews. In the November 9th issue, there was a three-quarter page article in the head-out section entitled Stairway to Heaven. This topic does lend itself to plays on words. They recommend a visit to Bracco, the Croatian gaze healer. So what does Bracco do? Maybe it's Braco. He just stands and stares at you with what appears to be a kind face and a gentle smile. That's it. He stands and stares for five to seven minutes and miracles happen from cancers vanishing to the prevention of irene-induced apartment flooding. Now, his website specifically says his gaze is no substitute for medical care, and Bracco denies he is a healer. He is just a conduit for energies. It is the gazed upon who make the effusive claims of benefit. My wife points out I tend to stare at people in public, especially if they have medical anomalies, and I know it is not polite to stare. Unless, of course, you are Bracco. He is a marathon gazer. Quote, Groups of 50 to 1,000 people gather for a healing session, and Bracco does 20 sessions a day, working 10 to 12 hours each day at locations across Europe. He is booked with appearances four years in advance. End quote. He charges $8 per person for a five-minute gaze, preferring, I guess, volume purchasing, although his website says he does not make any money from these appearances. I would love to see his tax returns. There is nothing unique in what Bracco offers. It is another form of faith healing, albeit a minimalist form for the practitioner. Low overhead, minimal exertion, the epitome of the ideal of don't just do something, stand there. 
The explanation for the effects he has on others are the usual vague energies and consciousness raising. Quote, Professor Alex Schneider explains that Bracco is taking people to the higher level of consciousness. I prefer beer. During these moments when he is gazing at us, he is lifting us up to this higher level where we can feel who we really are. And this is much more than just our physical body. He brings us home to ourselves. And, but today, we have some ideas about the structures in the human nervous system that allow some individuals to affect a non-local reality just by mere intention. Although Bracco does not consider himself to be a saint of any congregation, he often experiences the states of intercertainty that makes things are taking a certain course. He avoids pointing to the individuals in question because that always creates a flow of unnecessary and counterproductive inquiries that are threatening to the positive outcome when it is already at the site. The spontaneous and natural flow of energies is an absolute must. The surrender to what is is the most favorable starting point to resolve any complex and seemingly hopeless situation. It is generally believed that there are two possible ways Bracco's non-active action works. First, it's the activation of a brain structure now known as the God Module. And second, the creation of a radical change in spiritual anatomy. I think I was born without that. Of course, both views are open for discussion. Even more, it is desirable to clarify these ideas in the favor of improvement of the statistics connected with Bracco's work. End quote. Non-active action. Sounds like what occurs when I ask my boys to mow the lawn. I scoffed when Jacques Benvenisti suggested that homeopathic information could be transmitted over phone lines. It turns out Benvenisti was ahead of his time. Bracco can even live stream his stare, or you can watch a YouTube video with the same effect as a personal stare down. I was recently asked at a lecture what I thought was the oddest scam, and I answered oscilococcinum. But we do have a new winner. And really, it isn't polite to stare. And that ends the 79th award-winning QuackCast. As always, go on to iTunes and write me a glowing review. And visit moremark.squarespace.com where you can find my growing multimedia empire. See you in a while for our QuackCast 80. Bye-bye and bye-bonds.